Recovery Radio, where we discuss substance abuse treatment and recovery. You can listen live at blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Please note that the views and opinions of our hosts and guests are not necessarily the views of OCG, nor is it meant to replace professional advice or the advice of your physician. And now, here's our show, Roach on Recovery, with your host, Orville Roach. Welcome, welcome, folks, to Roach on Recovery. This is your host, Orville Roach, here on this last day of June, the last day of the fiscal year, but more importantly, the day before free agency in the NBA, along with my producer, co-host, engineer, call screener, what else? Switchboard operator, <laughs> music dropper. Six four six five six four ninety nine zero nine is the number. Six four six five six four ninety nine zero nine is the number. If you want to call and speak to us, you can also listen to the show live on our show website, and that's blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. You can also call in on the call in line if that's your only means. Then make it happen. Make it happen. Uh, I want to first start off on our recap by uh, thanking folks for the nice comments that they that I received, and I'm sure you received some on our show last week, honoring uh, Mr. Joe Williams. Yes, indeed. Um, the feedback was good, and unfortunately for him, like uh, like a comment, Haley's comment. It only comes around every seven years where he's going to line up like that again, where his passing date and his birth date will all fall on Tuesday. Yeah. So, uh, NBA draft. Starts tonight, 9 p.m. No, the NBA draft. Oh, the draft. Yeah, okay. So, recap. So, I, uh, in analyzing... (laughs) In analyzing uh, what I experienced, it it just mirrored grief. I was in shock first. I experienced pain. Yeah. I was angry. I was then depressed. And then, you know, 
just adjusted to the reality, right? Yeah. And decided to resume my life and uh, hope for the best, the best, you know, going forward, which brings us to tomorrow or 9 o'clock Pacific time, 12 a.m. Eastern. That's right. The start of free agency. But I was thoroughly disgusted with the pick the Knicks made. My New York Knicks. So that's what I went through. All in a space of uh, probably about three hours. Well, that's... um, You are joined by many fans. In fact, when I was watching the SportsCenter recap, when they announced the Knicks pick, there was literally, and obviously they chose him for TV, but a five-year-old boy wearing a Knicks jersey, crying mm-hmm. upon hearing the pick. Literally a uh, full-blown cry with his dad there needing to console him. And his dad looked like he probably could have been joining in on the tears if he didn't have to be there for his son. Mm-hmm. They call him the European Kevin Durant, you know? So <laughs> maybe you guys will, maybe you guys found a diamond in the rough there. Should, should I make public the official nickname yeah, I gave him? Yeah, you got to do it. Well, first try and pronounce the real name so what people know uh, what they're working with and then drop the nickname. Is it Chris Haps Portzingis? That's, yeah, that's about as good as I'd be able to do. Okay. Yeah. So his name, his nickname is officially until further notice Miss Hap No Ring Us. Perfect. That's perfect. <clears throat> Because I don't see any rings in our future with this pick. Seven foot two. We'll see. The real deal starts tonight. What they do in free agency with thirty thirty five million. It's either this is going to make or break Phil Jackson's uh, tenure as an executive with the Knicks. Right. So. Right. Yeah, we're a little less than five hours away here for that. And on uh, sporting news, if I can just add, for those of you out there who are listening or plan on listening. Uh, if you're not able to listen and watch the game at the same time, we're very well aware that our women of the United States are representing us in the semifinal of the World Cup, and a kickoff just took place, and so if we get a goal or anything like that, kickoff, we will uh, <laughs> we will be sure to update you. Uh, this is like one of the rare times in the World Cup they've actually been an underdog. Um, they're the number two ranked team in the nation. They're actually taking on the number one ranked team in the nation, Germany. So they're an underdog. You mean today. in the world, not in the world, world. yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. So we're going to keep people abreast of that as well. Okay. Uh, dare I delve into the political arena for a moment? I think you absolutely should. <laughs> What do we got? All right, there were two big Supreme Court decisions last week. One regarding the Affordable Care Act and the other one regarding gay marriage. And I have a brief comment on both. And I advise people not to get your knickers in a bunch in advance of my comments because you have no idea what I'm about to say. Let's deal with the Affordable Care Act one first. I am very disappointed in the decision, and not for the re- reasons people may think. Okay. Um, 
first of all, I, I would hope the pundits would stop calling it health care reform. It is not health care reform. It is insurance reform. All right. It's been set clear okay. here. It's insurance reform. For the record. It reforms how insurance markets work and how insurance is who's you know, who becomes who can be eligible for insurance and right. who can enter the marketplace of insurance. That's what's been reformed, not health care. Right. Okay. So that's my one th- my one thing. The second thing is the I'm glad that for various reasons that the law wasn't overturned. However, what they have done is said that words that are written a certain way, the legislature gets a pass if they make a mistake. We'll we'll back them up and so on and so forth. And what they should have done is said, you wrote it incorrectly, go back and fix it. That's what they should have done. That would make sense. Okay. Because in the past, there have been laws and cases that have come up where they've pinpointed on specific words that have decided which way the case went. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So by doing that, what are you saying, speaking in regards to the future, and that's my concern, what are you saying in terms of the future when legislation is written sloppily and so on and so forth? Okay. Um, that you're going to bail them out? No, go go back and do it properly. Go and 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 this time read the damn thing. Yeah, that'd be a good start. By the way, I have a 45 minute expose on the on the on the Affordable Care Act, which we haven't published. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. We'll, was, we'll keep that in the archives. I was told now. I was told that it would never see the light of day because uh, it would bore people to death. By my uh, producer. <laughs> um, on the gay marriage uh, decision, this one, n- n- the d- not on gay marriage, the decision is going to have far-reaching effects on future Supreme Court decisions, in my regard. Okay. Because what they have done and many who are looking at it objectively are saying that the Supreme Court, as designed originally by the founders, okay, were to determine whether or not a federal law is constitutional or not, or a law proposed by the states or written by the states violates the Constitution or not. Okay? Right. And jurisprudence over the first 200 years was if the Constitution doesn't speak to it, the Supreme Court stays silent. That means it's the job of the states. Okay. Okay? And I would have predicted because 10 years ago, when they polled people on what they thought on gay marriage, mm-hmm. it the scale was swung on the negative side of 50%. Okay, So the majority of people 
or against it. Okay, in California, when they voted uh, for the ban, it only passed by like 61 percent to something else. Now people say, "Oh, it's a large margin." Not really. If they had that same vote today, it would probably pass 65 to 35 percent. Mm-hmm. And that's my beef. That because time, you know, times are changing, views are changing, and so on and so forth, that these things would have probably been overturned legislatively or by voters. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I believe so. Mm-hmm. And, I follow. And so they short-circuited the legislative process by not allowing that process to play itself through. And so the question becomes, what is the next thing, social thing, that is again going to be decided by the Supreme Court? rather than your elected officials who, if you don't like what they've decided, you can vote them out of office. Right. And you exactly, can vote yeah. in people who represent, you know, what, what you're, you're about. What, what you're about. So, to me, the, not the decision, the ramifications of the methodology, so let's be clear, right? Not the decision, the ramifications of the methodology, to me, harm the republic. That makes sense. Okay. That's my uh, short spiel. Okay. I like it. No, I think I think that makes sense. So kind of what you're speaking to is uh, the processes that are in place for something like that to happen that were bypassed, so to speak, in this kind of a situation are what you have the issue with. Not that whether or not this decision was going to happen or not, if it was done the right way, then we're okay. It would but have certainly it, undermining in, in, the process. In my opinion, I think many people's opinions that it it would have certainly. It, I mean, anyone could say they see they saw this happening that minds were evolving, people were changing, and so on and so forth. So this train was moving. You know what I'm right. saying? And so it would have happened through the normal process of either legislative or voter, you know, voter um, ballot measures, and then you would not have such blowback. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Because it went through a, like a metamorphosis process for mm-hmm. to, for you to get to this point. Yeah. So, you know, there's another argument to that. Some people would say, well, they equated to the Brown versus Board of Education and, you know, certain civil rights decisions. I don't take that viewpoint. I think it's apples and oranges in my, in my opinion. Um, but that's just my opinion, okay? But again, to be clear, it's not the decision. It's just the methodology. And then what that what does that mean for future things that the... The precedent the, that it sets. The, yeah, for things that society may want to change. Yeah. You know, are we going to have everything end up... The Supreme Court was never meant to be the final arbiter of everything. They were right. supposed to decide whether or not, hey, this is unconstitutional. You've got to go back and fix it. Make, right. it, make it right. You know, but not so now they're looked upon as they weren't meant to be the overruling dictator. Exactly. <laughs> right. And so everything goes to the Supreme Court. They're like now the nine lords. Yeah. Of us. Yeah. So that's my beef. We shouldn't have. We shouldn't end up with nine lords. We, we might. We're heading back towards England. <laughs> that's where we're going. House of the Lords and House of the Commons. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah, uh, no, and I would say that as far as the the process that is in place 
and the institutions that we have in place in the government for the reasons that are said to be why they're there. I agree with you in that regard. And again, nothing to do with the decision at all. Mm -hmm. Um, We were chatting a little bit before the show, and I'm still trying to wrap my mind around the idea of the ruling in and of itself that um, many people out there are left with uh, misunderstanding of the ruling in which they are walking around believing that the Supreme Court ruled that gay marriage is now legal. They didn't legalize anything. What the ruling actually stated was that it's illegal to ban gay marriages, Mm -hmm. not that gay marriage is now legal. Mm -hmm. Um, And it feels like semantics, and it Mm -hmm. feels a little bit like politics, and Mm -hmm. sometimes that's how the law works, and the only thing I could think of was that that just kind of leaves the door open for people to find – for states, I should say, who are not for gay marriage to find trapdoors or backdoors to not allow it in their facility. Mm-hmm. So the state can't say that it's banned, but then you could go to, because we run on capitalism here, you could go to a private entity who you may want to get married with. Mm-hmm. And if they find out that it's a gay marriage, they may just say, Ah, we have the right to refuse business. Maybe they won't blame it on you guys being gay, but we're booked that weekend, and every weekend Mm -hmm. this couple checks they're booked or Mm -hmm. whatever. Um, That that might be how that plays, um, because on a on the surface it looks like what is the damn difference between legalizing gay gay marriage or saying it's illegal to ban it? It Mm -hmm. looks like there's not too much difference, other than it allows some states a little, I guess, wiggle room in their own kind of. operating businesses yeah yeah i think one one of the smartest things i heard it was a comparison to the um the abortion ruling in 73 when they said that you notice how even though the supreme court ruled in that right to privacy case it did not end the debate yeah and the debate is just as divisive and you know energized Today. today as it was back then yeah and so someone said i heard on television that this should end the debate and I'm saying, no, this is not going to end the debate because the manner in which it was done is going to keep it in the, in you know, out there for those who disagree. Yeah. Okay. Um, but if the natural processes w- were allowed to evolve and let that happen, then I use California as an example. If they had the ballot measure today, it would pass overwhelmingly. Yeah. Oh, of course. I completely Whereas agree. Whereas 10, 15 years ago, whenever that the first one was that that um, eventually was ruled unconstitutional, was it, it you know it passed sixty one to whatever. But today it would pass, no problem. Oh, yeah, overwhelming. Right. Landslide. For so, sure. All right, that's it on our news update, right? That's it. That's a pretty pretty solid news update. Yep. We still got zero to zero in the U.S. Germany game. We're in about the 20th minute. Our host is on the edge of his seat. Yes, soccer. <laughs> you use the term kickoff like it's football. All right, let's get to our topic. Let's do it. I call it the Counselor 101 series. Hint, hint. I mean, there's going to be more than one. No promises that they're going to be in order, by the way. What is our role as counselors? That's the question of the day. What are the do's and don'ts? What are some of the most common issues faced by treatment organizations with the counselors? And I'm going to tell you some 
things I've been told by others in regards to counselors okay. in the field that we are in. So my uh, first director and first mentor, Eddie Hill, the late Eddie Hill, coined a phrase which is ingrained in me forever. He called it the philosophy of flexible fidelity. Okay. Bit of a tongue twister. Okay. The philosophy of flexible fidelity to the therapeutic community concepts. Now, the only way I mend that is you can just apply that across the board. So whatever your... I think if, if, if you look at the therapeutic community concepts, they, and then look at uh, a program that doesn't identify itself as a TC, a residential program, you can look in that program and see aspects of the TC. Yeah. Okay? And so that's why I say you can apply it across the board. Okay? So the philosophy of the flexible fidelity to the therapeutic community. What he meant by that was times change, right? Indeed, they do. The addicts change, right? True. And so you must be flexible while still remaining, having some fidelity to the concept, the treatment concept. And it is possible, even though it might sound like a dichotomy, it's possible to do that. Yeah. How do we know it's possible? Well, OCG has done that. We've done that ourselves, right? We modernized the TC. We turned it from the old school method into the strength-based version. Mm -hmm. Didn't take away anything from the traditional TC. We added another component to it, kind of flipped the script a little bit on it to have better outcomes. Yeah. Okay. And I guess it should be noted for those of you out there listening, had we not adapted or flipped it, um, we probably wouldn't even be here today. It wouldn't have worked. Everybody would have failed because you're not. No, we, and, and we get high praise for the, the the type of program. That's right. I'm not just blowing our own horn. I'm saying we really right, actually I, get high praise. And I refer praise. to all TCs out there yeah. who are adjusting to a new addict and a new time versus staying set in their old ways yeah. that doesn't work. Yeah. All right. So what's our role? To counsel, advise, provide guidance, motivation, external motivation. Now, what do we mean when we say counsel and advise? Now, there's some who counsel, and it's my way or the highway. Okay? Yes. There's some who advise, and it's, you know, take this advice and like it. <laughs> the Humphrey Bogart way. That's it. Okay? And neither one of those extremes are successful, ultimately. The, the interaction between counselor and client is actually a give and take. It should actually be a collaboration, okay? And the collaboration may 
the needle of the collaboration may go back and forth depending on where the client is in the treatment experience, what the issue is that might be up for discussion. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Et cetera. And so what we would teach along the lines of doing the role properly is that to be a counselor, it's not to be a dictator. I'm sure in your, you've met some dictator counselors in your, I have in your long career. Um, you can't be a dictator. I think... I might have at the very beginning like you career. had a you had a dictator <laughs> or used to be one myself in okay. some form or fashion. Okay. Did did we beat it out of you or you evolved? It, it, you on your own evolved out of that. The beatings expedited the evolution. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> There's nothing like a beating to uh we're not uh, promoting beatings, but, you know, there's nothing like a beating to expedite uh, a change in behavior. That's it. <clears throat> or a smack on the hand. Don't touch that stove. Mm-hmm. Motivation. So why, does the client, why doesn't the client have their own motivation? They're the ones that are in treatment. Well, sometimes external motivation is needed. And again, the type of motivation ranges from mild, kind, to a swift kick in the rear. All gauged on what's going on at that moment in time. All gauged on knowing the person that you're dealing with and what type of motivation is going to be the most effective. Will you use hardcore yelling and, you know, aggressive type motivation tactics to someone who has been traumatized by that? No, you shouldn't because it's going to have zero effect and probably make the person feel worse. Have I seen that? Yes. Why have I seen that? Because I've seen counselors who didn't follow the number one rule of counseling, which is know thy client, okay, so that you can best counsel them, advise them, and motivate them. And if you don't know thy client, then that means you don't know what their background is, what their experiences have been, so that you can best counsel, advise, and so on and so forth. Right. We provide guidance. I kind of, in terms of a visual description, a lane and a highway, a lane on the road, help keep them in the lane. But they're they're driving, you know what I'm saying? And when they get too close to the white line, we kind of bump them over back to the center. Bumpers in a, bump, a bowling alley. There you go. That's part of the role. It's not to take over the wheel. It's not to install, uh, you know, speed control devices to, to help prevent accidents. The governor. Exactly, the governor's. It's not to install airbags to cushion the blow, okay, of relapse. See all these metaphors that we're throwing out there? They're beautiful. Okay. We're just delaying bumpers. When we advise, our advice should not come from an air of, I know everything there is to know. 
about recovery and or you and your recovery or you and what you should do to succeed in your recovery, it should be, it should come from a place and a space of, again, knowing thy client and this is what, just from my perspective, from what I see, um, how I would advise you in this arena moving forward, in this area moving forward. It then, and again, tone, um, language, all of that is very important in how it's presented because I want to give off the impression that I'm giving you advice. However, it's for you to contemplate and determine you know, okay, if I take this advice, what's going to be the consequences or the the result? If I don't take it and do this, what's going to be the end result? You know what I'm saying? So that they can take ownership of whatever decision they make because they're not going to be able to come back and say, well, I I did what you said, and this is what happened. It's your fault. Exactly. Okay? So the way I present the advice has to be in a way that they understand that this is something for you to contemplate, for you to think about, and then you make the decision. Make the decision. Not that I'm forcing forcing it upon you, where you feel as if okay, I got to do I got to do this because this is what they're, he's saying, or you know, basically I got to do it like this. Right. Because then you leave yourself open. So, well, Chris, you're the one who told me to do this, and this is what happened. It's your fault right. that I went down that road. No, we don't leave any uh, any space for that. <laughs> right, exactly. So what are some of the do's? I have support your clients and their reasonable pursuits. And goals. Now, what's the? We have to be careful here. What what would we consider reasonable? Okay, everyone's definition of reasonable is different. Okay, so I'm the counselor. You're telling me that I, when part of my role is to support my client's reasonable pursuits. Well, my definition of reasonable might be different from your definition of reasonable. Very true. Well, is there some standard that we can use as a baseline that where they say everyone can look at that and agree that that's reasonable? So if a client said, you know what, I just want to do uh, 15 days of residential. <laughs> Excellent. You know, I've been using for 15 years, so I think 15 days of residential should do it. And that's pushing it because two weeks, really, I've, I've wanted 14, but... Yeah, so I'm giving you the 15, extra day. yeah, we'll give you the 15 extra day. 15 days. That's an extreme, obviously, over-the-top example of unreasonable pursuit of a client. So I wouldn't support that. Right. Okay? But if a client says, you know... You know, based on what I'm thinking, my history, so on and so forth, you know, I think I can complete my treatment plan goals in seven or eight months. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They're pretty reasonable. 
My answer shouldn't be, well, no. Um, you need to be here a year. Well, who's in, who's in treatment? Is it me or the client? Right. And this is where I think counselors kind of get in trouble because I might not think and be 100% spot on that mm, I don't know if you can make it through all the phases in seven or eight months, okay? But you think you can, so boom, let's get to it. Let's get to work. Knowing that there's a high probability we may get to month seven, and you know what? They still have much you know, more right. time to go. And then allowing them, the client the opportunity to modify through our conversation. Okay, we're at the seven-month mark. Where, where are you at? Oh, I'm, I'm only on phase three. So, you know, I still got one more phase to go, blah, blah, blah. So, okay, so what do you, what do you think now in terms of time? Well, you know, I, initially I, I thought about seven or eight months I'd be, you know, finish my, be finished all the phases, but I'm probably now looking closer nine or ten. And then in your mind you were probably thinking, based on the information you had, that this person's probably going to need about nine or ten months of treatment. Right. So you're probably going to get there anyway. But sometimes we get into unnecessary Power struggle. Power struggles. And we never win the power struggle. No. Us counselors never win the power struggle. As a matter of fact, we are zero and 26 million. (laughs) That's right. We've not won one yet. So another do, provide guidance and directional assistance. We kind of covered that. Mm Mm-hmm. Another do, be a source of external motivation without, here's the key, without a requirement of outcome in advance. Requirements set in your own head as a counselor, you're saying. An expectation, if you will. Yes. It's another trap. Oh, yeah, big time. Okay. And we said before, we know that the motivation, external motivation comes in many different sources, from kind words to the figurative boot in the rear. Mm-hmm. Okay, But you have to decide, based on knowing thy client and thy circumstance at that moment in time, what's appropriate. And it's highly probable that you have a client that, you know what, it will never be appropriate for you to raise your voice at that client because of right. that client's history. You raise your voice at them, you've lost, you lose them. So you have to know that. You can't there's no standard manual, cookie cutter manual that, you know, if the client does this, I'm gonna do that. Or if the client says this, I'm gonna say that. No. You have to know thy client. Each one of them individually. And this is for you, Mr. Co host. There's gonna be a quiz, a one question quiz at the end of this. Oh, okay. I like the sound of that. Because don't don't tell me now, but what is this all sounding like? The only clue I'm going to give you is you aren't there yet. All right, moving right along. What are some of the don'ts? Here's an absolute no-no but very common. 
emotional involvement, meaning taking on their problems and issues as your own. Mm-hmm. Some people walking in the door are more prone to this than others. But not only is it not a good thing to do in terms of the role of of a counselor to the client, getting emotionally involved in their issues, okay, Uh, it is not good for our health and well-being to do that. So it's not good for the client. It's not good for us. Okay. I'm sure there's not anything written in this manner in terms of professional ethics. They kind of focus more on the physical involvement with clients, which, of course, we say is obvious, but it's not obvious because people do it. That was actually my second one. You know, don't get physically involved with clients as in terms of a don't. Okay. But the emotional involvement is a lot more tricky because, and I've heard, I've been told this by counselors, but I care about my client. I care about what happens to them. I care about how they feel. I care about, you know, whether they're going to succeed or not in their recovery. Well, you can care. We can care about them. We should care about them. Absolutely. But we should be careful not to become emotionally vested. Right. You still have to be able to maintain a boundary. Because you will not last long. And it also causes unnecessary unnecessary, uh, struggle in terms of providing the counsel to the client. If you're emotionally involved, are you giving the best counsel? Are you giving the best advice? Are you able to motivate properly if you're emotionally involved? So one of the ways, and I have to attribute this line to Eddie Hill again, to help us from falling into that trap, Eddie would say, always tell yourself, and you can then think this to the client, and then how you verbalize it is is up to you. But he said this, I don't give a rat's ass about you, but I do care what you do and how you act yeah. and how you behave. But your, but your feelings, I don't care about them. Not so much. But in truth, of course we care about your feelings. But you're not an infant, you're not a child, so we're not going to focus on that. We want to make sure that you, are, you learn to control your feelings so that you can not control your feelings, but that you learn how to deal with your feelings so that you can then control your behavior. Right. That's what we ultimately care about. Right. We're not inhumane. (laughs) (laughs) We're not as cold as that sounds. Right, exactly. Um, 
Transference, Mr. Producer. Transference, yeah, transference and counter-transference. Got to be aware of the both of them. Yep. Uh, happens a lot in the treatment setting. Probably more so in residential, right? Would you Would you agree? Yeah, I'd say more so in residential just simply due to the fact that there's more time spent in the presence of client Client. counselor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I got issues going on in my personal life or, you know, you remind me of someone, you know, or or vice versa, like you said, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, that comes into play in the counseling or counselor-client relationship arena. And usually it's, you know, someone, a supervisor or a coworker, colleague, or when um, there is case meetings and you might be presenting a case and your colleagues, as a result of your presentation and, and either how you're presenting, what you're saying and so on and so forth, pick up that maybe, hey, there's a struggle going on here. Maybe the reason for the struggle is you, you know, or them and what, how they're looking at you. You remind them of their mother, and they hate their mother. Mm-hmm. That happens. You know, of course, yeah. And so, I'm sorry, but we're going to have to assign that client to somebody else. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Exactly. So that's an example of a don't. But that don't needs assistance because I I'm not going to recognize it on my own. Yeah. So you, Mr. Producer, are going to have to see. Someone it. needs to bring it up. Bring it up to me because exactly. I'm I'm so deep in, in the, into it that I don't recognize that. Right. Um, transferring my own issues onto the client, or the client is transferring their issues onto me, and I'm responding to it. You know, I'm like caught in this vortex mm-hmm. and not realizing it. Yeah, and you so, got to be open to your teammates' yeah. perception, and, and and they have to pull me out of that vortex. Yeah. But what if I'm not open? It's a problem. We've we've had those too. <laughs> it uh, becomes a struggle. So one of the things I was told by uh, some people that I respect their opinion and and philosophy of treatment, etc., that um, sometimes people who have unresolved issues flock to these type of fields that you know, involve counseling others. Mm-hmm. Um, providing input to others and help shaping others. Um, and I have seen that where the counselor has unresolved issues of their own yet are in the role of providing counsel to another human being in dire need of counseling um, and should be getting that counseling. And I'm not saying any, there's no perfect person in existence, right, in terms of everyone's got stuff going on, right? But we're talking about, can you imagine uh, running a women's group and you're the facilitator, okay, and it's a 
a women's group, survivors of domestic violence, domestic abuse. Okay? Yeah. And you're facilitating, and you are actively experiencing domestic abuse. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And simultaneous to that, you're facilitating a group like that. That would be professionally irresponsible. Of course. Because okay. it, it's it would be impossible to remove the emotional nature of that conversation with what you're going through personal. Right. And that's not to say that someone who has had that in their past Right, and sure. Has, and has dealt with it. Dealt with it, come through it and, and has moved forward in their life, cannot facilitate a group like that. Sometimes they make the best facilitators. You know what I mean? But if you are actively going on if if it's actively happening in your life, you shouldn't be facilitating a group like that. Mm-hmm. You should be receiving counseling and help and, you know, something. Yep. To address that. Yep, exactly. And that and by the way, and I guess just as a note for any of you out there who are new to counseling, considering becoming counselors, that doesn't make you a bad counselor mm-hmm. to go to your supervisor or go to a colleague and say, I don't believe I'm going to be capable of running this group right now because mm-hmm. of something I'm going through personally. That doesn't make you weak in any way, shape, or form. If anything, it shows responsibility and strength mm-hmm. that you're aware of yourself because that's a big part of being a counselor is being self-aware because that's going to have a lot to do with the way you present information to particular clients that you're going to encounter. And it ensures by being self-aware that your own personal stuff is not dropped on the client. That's right. And it leaks out in various ways, how the clients are treated, how they're spoken to, and so on and so forth. And so it's incumbent incumbent upon me as a counselor to make sure that you know, respect, dignity, et cetera, are always afforded the client. And that requires, even if I'm going through something personally, that being aware of it, that the client would never know, would never know Mm -hmm. through how I'm speaking to them, my body language, my facial expressions, they would never know. That's called being a professional. And that whatever it is, that's going on outside in my personal arena that I'm being responsible, taking care of it, addressing it, you know, dealing with it, you know, and whatever, whatever that means mm-hmm. to the, to the person. So now we delve into the last part, which is some of the issues the organizations face with the counselors. Okay. I can plead the fifth at any point if I <laughs> if I want at this point. I'm guessing. So my frame of reference, which to me is an excellent one, uh, is when it was explained to me the ultimate purpose, other than the obvious, for the training program that Daytop used to have. Right. Which was to weed people out. Hmm. So aside from the concepts and the didactics and all of that and the theories, it was an actual, it was a weeding out process. And it started with first 
an extended group. And for those of you who don't know what that is, it's a group that's at least 18 hours in length to find out if you were emotionally and mentally fit at that moment in time, ready to pursue this as a career. Or did you still have stuff that you needed to work on personally, you know, unresolved issues that you needed to work on before you can embark on this career? Mm-hmm. Okay? And so by having this uh, this group, which kind of was a feeling out, sourcing out, you know, talking about um, your life, yourself, et cetera, um, that was the initial aspect of trying to determine whether or not, you know, this person's still got some issues that they got <laughs> to take care of. So I don't think we'll pass on this round, you know what I yeah. mean? Come back maybe in three months. Um, or this person seems stable, um, is self-aware, um, kind of knows the things that they need to continue to work on personally for themselves. And so that's someone that we think can grow, not only personally, but professionally. And so they would weed people out. And so the classes, would, the, the, the training classes would usually start with 20, 21, 22 trainees mm-hmm. and usually only end up with three or four. Wow. Yeah, okay. So cut a pretty good amount yeah, out there. Yeah. So you do the math out of each class. You would do one every six months because the training lasts six months. Um, and sometimes they had two going on simultaneously. But you'd only get three or four people out of them. And so its intended goal was to weed people out because you want to be left with a healthy person in terms of yeah. emotional and mental, mentally, for, for this particular line of work, and someone that has proven themselves able to understand, digest the concept, the theories of providing counseling. So, back to the comment I made about people with unresolved issues flocking to this field. And so, at least through my travels, I have experienced people who I would be like, how the hell are you working as a counselor? Right. You can't even control the way you speak to the clients. And we knew that it was outside stuff. It had nothing to do with the clients themselves. Right, of course. The clients were just the recipients. <laughs> yeah, they were uh, on the business end. They were on the business end of it. And the the difficulty was let me just put it plainly, in getting rid of them. Yeah. It was like a a cut that wouldn't heal, you know what I mean? It's like you couldn't get rid of them. It's that weed that keeps going growing Grow, back growing every back. spring. And you know who came up with the cure for that? The late Eddie Sinasomo, which those of you who aren't affiliated with Daytop don't know, but he was a vice president. And his response, any time that I would bring me as a director who reported to him at one time, would bring to him, oh, you know, having this issue with this, this staff person or this issue with this staff person, he always had the same answer. Hmm. Firearm. 
So that became known as the Eddie Sinisomo. <laughs> That's perfect. And unfortunately, you would have to do that because your ultimate responsibility was to um, the provide a safe, nurturing environment for the clients. Yep. And you couldn't have a maniac. You couldn't have someone who, listen carefully to this description, you couldn't have someone working as a counselor or someone who had significant contact with clients and programs who, when they came to work, you didn't know what you were going to get that day. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Because clients react viscerally to that Mm -hmm. because it brings up so much stuff. Yeah. Similar to having an alcoholic parent. Exactly. Right. One minute they love you to death, the next they're next day, breaking ne- furniture next in the Next day they come home, it's a different story, what mm-hmm. you see. Right. So, here's my question for you, Mr. Producer. Okay, here we go. Here's the quiz. What is this all? What is this all similar to? What we're discussing today? Yes, this this counselor role in 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 the discussion we held today, the 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 role, the do's, the don'ts. What is it similar to? I'm not sure I follow the question. Yeah, I'm exactly. sure you wouldn't. And I, see, I, that's why the clue I gave you kind of prefaced that. By I kind of gave you an out by saying, but didn't I say that you yeah. you wouldn't know because the only thing I could think of with that clue in my mind is maybe marriage, on some level the do's and the don'ts. You're in the you're in the arena, but you're not in the stands yet. Parenthood. Yes. <laughs> so, in my role as a counselor, I sometimes find myself similar to. Being a parent, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. No, I, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Consistency and basically everything we talked about. Exactly. Same kind of role model for your children you'd want in the home. Providing a little bit of you're your, the bumpers. Another good term that I heard from Eddie Hill is about. Yes, as a parent, in in, in most homes we're dictators, but. The best are when the subjects, i.e. your children, don't know that you're being a dictator. Okay, yeah. You know what I mean? So because you allow them space to make decisions, make decisions explore, make mistakes, and so on and so forth, and you, ha- you know what the boundary lines are, and so when they cross it, boom, you correct it, push them back over, but they, they have some space. So it is like parenting a little bit when you are being a counselor to clients, i.e. sometimes you have to kick them in the rear to get them motivated. Sometimes it takes a kind word, Mm -hmm. but it's knowing that child versus the other child. Know thy client. Know thy client. I got two daughters. They're, They're both very different. I can't treat them the same. Respond differently to different things. Exactly. 
Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I can see that. Um, and the challenge is the same as well. Like, the yep. only the only difference I would see between the two is, and my grandfather actually said this to mm-hmm. me once before because um, my, my grandfather also has a master's degree in counseling psychology. And he Why don't you just say it? He's a professor at Berkeley. Okay, already. yeah, he did he did teach at Berkeley. That's true. Um, he was a professor actually at um, a junior college in Santa Clara Mission mm-hmm. for the greater part of his career. Mm-hmm. Um, but he said once before the. The great difference between the two is that you can't separate emotion exactly. or not be emotionally invested I agree. I agree. at home the way you can in your professional setting. I agree. Because I asked him some questions about some things that maybe um, my mom, his daughter, had done or decisions she made in her life. And he said, a lot of what you learn in school and what you can apply professionally uh, hard to draw that line or to have it not go out the window when you're at home because of the emotional, emotional investment. investment. Right. And attachment. But yeah, all the the procedures and the things you want to do, very similar in parenting and counseling. That's essentially what you're doing as a parent is counseling or what you're doing as a counselor is parenting. Advice. Giving, yeah. giving advice. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a parent, there's do's and don'ts. Yeah, exactly. So... That's it for me, sir. I think that's pretty good. That's the first one in the series. There's more to come. But the first one is, what is our role? Do we want to Do we want to take a quick commercial break, and then maybe on the other side, you give us a sneak peek into what part two of the series might be? Sure. And then we'll drop the topic close. Sure. All right, we're going to take a quick commercial break, folks. We do see we have a couple callers on hold. Be patient with us. We hope you're enjoying the show. We will get to you very shortly here. Technical difficulties? Yeah, it's looking like, well, unless, <laughs> unless of course, you guys can hear what's happening and we're talking over the music right now. Uh, it looks we, like... We didn't get any error, any uh We, we any, got, any we got notes. no error message, but the music here... Oh mm-hmm. 
Okay, welcome back to Roach on Recovery, 646-564-9909. So we were talking about our topic today, what is our Counselor 101 series, what is our role? The next item that we're going to have up in the series, you ready for it? Sure, yeah. It's called Work in the Case. Work in the Case, okay. All and right. Can you... Can you figure out what that means? I say work in the case because now that we know what our role is, okay, you're on the job. We're on the job, and now we got to work the case. And what's our case? Case by case, all and, kinds of cases. And what do we call our case? Load. There you go. <laughs> the case, case load. The case load. Work in the case. Exactly. That's very catchy. Well, I can see why. When we were on our commercial break there, the host was saying he didn't want to give a hint because the hint would give away the glorious title he had come up with. Well, there we have the title uh, tell you right off the bat. You're from Law and Order. Working the case. That's well done. Perfect. Matter of fact, you're gonna, you're gonna, we're gonna. That's what we're gonna have as our uh, audio clip. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's what we'll do. Well, we got an X Files and a Law and Order now. That'll be great. Okay. All right, so that wraps it up, our topic. Uh, I think we're ready to go into some recovery support. I think so, yeah. We're going to try and drop the song we tried to drop for you before, one of my personal favorites. And then on the other side of this music break, we will get right into our let's, phone calls. Let's be clear, the technical difficulties are not on our end, uh, by the way. No. So if you hear music, but we're talking, that means we can't hear music playing and we're thinking it's not working. Exactly, exactly. So uh, we will get to the phone calls here on the other side of the break.
Roach on Recovery is a program of OCG Radio. It deals with many topics related to substance abuse, substance abuse treatment and recovery. Our Recovery Support Time is a show segment where you can receive support from our host for any questions or issues you wish to present related to substance abuse, substance abuse treatment or recovery. You can reach our host live by calling 646-564-9909. That's 646-564-9909. Or you can send your questions via email at any time to ocgworkca at gmail.com. That's ocgworkca at gmail.com. And our host will respond to your questions on the air. Roach on Recovery. Recovery Support Time. A time for us to help you. Okay, welcome back to Roach on Recovery. 646-564-9909 is the number. We're now in our recovery support time, and we're going to go to the phones, but I want to just let Mr. Producer know I do have a couple of great X-File questions I do want to get to today, so let's leave some time for them. We will if, leave. If we can, if we can. If we can, we will leave some time for the X-Files. And just a quick update for all out there, uh, we just entered the second half of play, and it is Still nil nil, which is why soccer will never become big in the USA. <laughs> All right, let's go to uh, what do we got first? We got we got a dice roll because okay. for those of you who don't know, I was about ready to screen a call and was uh, told not to go so fast there. All right, welcome to the show. Can we have your first name and hometown, please? Hello. Hello. Hi, I'm Hillary. I'm from San Jose. Hi. Welcome. How are you doing today? Good. Good. My question for you is I have been hearing over and over again the last couple of days that um, it's really important to get real with yourself in treatment. So my question for you is how do I get real honest with myself in treatment? I hate to answer a question with a question, but I got to do it to you. Okay. What's what's stopping you from be, just becoming honest with yourself? My question is, I don't think there's anything stopping me from getting really honest with myself more than I don't know how to get real honest with myself. Like it comes and goes. Like I'll I'll really try to decipher like what it is that I need to that I need to get honest about, I guess? You might be asking an unanswerable (laughs) question because the only person that knows the answer to that really is you. Hmm. You you know what your issues are. You know what the things are that uh, have contributed to you using drugs you know what the you know you're the one with all of the information and so you take that information and you verbalize it outward and you then get feedback from others in in terms of 
how how to help you resolve some of it, how to help you deal with some of it, how to help you move past some of it, depending on what the you know what it is, and so it has to come from you first, come out of you first before someone can help you with it, and so okay. when you say you're not sure. Usually, when a person is struggling with that, it has to do with them being up in their head a lot, okay, and not responding to what we term as their gut, you know, their feelings and, you know, that part. And so we try and say, you got to, like, pretend like everything above the neck, neck doesn't exist, Okay. Shut that down for a minute and try and respond to what you feel inside, not necessarily what you think upstairs. Okay, kind of, so I just need to I mean? pay more attention to, to my gut feelings. And if I'm yeah, if something's gotta, flipping my belly, then I need to be more aware of that. Yeah, you got to respond to your feelings, not so much what you're thinking at this point in time. Obviously, okay. your thinking has to come into play because that's going to help keep you out of trouble. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Or help balance things out. But at this point in time, when we're trying to just, you know, determine, you know, what the issues are, how how we can best help, how we can best resolve them, accept them, move past them, whatever the case may be, well, we need to know what they, you know, the person needs to talk. They need to be, you know, be honest with themselves about what these things are. So. That's my best answer. Thank you. Very you, Can I ask you another question? Do you have time or no? Sure. To producer, we're how can right I? How can I ensure that I'm successful in my treatment and recovery? By being honest with yourself. <laughs> Good answer. Okay. Absolutely right. Thank you so much, Orville. You're you're very welcome. All right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. See, who do we got? Hi, welcome to the show. Hi. First name and hometown, please. Mary, and from San Francisco. Hi, Mary, how can we help you? Yes, the question I have for you is, in the long run, do you think a 12-step program is better or a behavioral modification? A lot of clients get caught up in these descriptions mm-hmm. and not not always knowing that 12-step is often something people do alone mm-hmm. or they do simultaneous to being in a traditional residential program. Okay. They're not mutually exclusive. Okay. So you can do both? Uh, yes, I, I I plan on it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, the ultimate goal, think about it for a second. The ultimate goal, if you just focus on 12-step, the ultimate mm-hmm. goal is to change the way you think so you can change the way you behave. Yes, sir. That is so well, true. And and 
that is called behavior modification. Mm-hmm. If you're in a yes. residential treatment program, traditional, their ultimate goal is to work with you on changing the way you think so that you can change the way you behave. They both and have the th- same ultimate goal. And 12 steps is more of a spiritual, maybe, thing you should do as well. That, yeah, if you say, well, what's what's the major difference between the two? The 12 step does have a spiritual component, which some people mm-hmm. are drawn to. Some people are turned yeah. off by it. Works both, you know, mm-hmm. it's... Okay. An individual well, thank choice. You. Uh, thank you. You're very welcome. You have a nice day. You're very welcome. You okay. Too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And we've. This is another thing that uh, I think programs struggle with in terms of, or, or let's stay on point on topic. Counselors struggle with in terms mm-hmm. of when advising clients that come through traditional residential programs or are in outpatient programs, and we're, we want to provide some advice on seeking other support yeah. to complement what you're doing. And so the uh, the most popular one out there are 12-step groups. But 12 steps is not for everybody. That's been proven, shown, and so on and so forth. And so we, we don't want to get in the, in you know, get in the habit of forcing someone into something that, is not going to work for them. It just defeats the whole purpose. If it works for them, and that they're the ones who determine that, by the way, so I myself as a counselor would say, you know, one of the things you can do to have support while you're out there is you can go to 12-step groups, whether it be NA, AA, CA, et cetera, or there are other things you can do. So let them decide because some people don't like 12-step. And and for the very reason that, uh, the previous caller stated that some people are turned off by the spiritual uh, aspect of it, um, or religious, whatever you want, whichever term you want to use. Um, so they got to have other options. That can't be the only option. All right, let's go to uh, Ralph from Roseville. Ralph, welcome to the show. Thank you. How are you doing? Good. Can you speak up, Ralph? Yes, yes. Uh, I have a question for you. Sure. And my question is, what can one do if another resident in treatment will not share in group? Um, there's a couple of things you can do, and your your tactical choice is very important. So I have to ask you a question first. Okay. What is the reason why you want this person to share? Um, because uh, they just they just seem like they're holding back, and uh, when they're outside of group, they uh, they're a bit aggressive, and uh, either they're aggressive or they're just real like real quiet. Like, uh, do you do you care for this person? Yes, I do. We uh, we share a room. Okay. All right. So. If I was in your shoes, roommates, and I I see that they're not really sharing, letting go, and and participating in that manner, I would use the kind approach because since you've already stated that they kind of sometimes show some aggression, okay, well, I don't want to do anything that's going to 
get that reaction. I want to try a different avenue. And so that would be the kind approach, the kind tactic to try and find out through soft, gentle questioning what might be holding them back. And sometimes a little sharing of your own, you know, over dinner, over lunch, over breakfast, or if you're out, you know, in the facility during cleanup time or whatever, you know, um, sharing of your own helps break the ice a little bit. So it's working them that way mm-hmm. and being committed. Here's the, here's, the, here's the key part, being committed to the effort. Not, oh, I'm going to just try this one night, doesn't work, and then boom. That's it. It's being committed to it. And okay. what the roommate will see is, wow, this person keeps working at it, trying to get me to you know, talk, and they just keep working, keep working. They must really care about me. And they might start to give you some tidbits so a little bit at a time. You know what I'm saying? Because you've shown yourself to have a consistent interest. Okay, that sounds... uh, And make sure you're sincere. Make sure you're sincere and that sincerity comes through. All right, great. That's important. uh, Thank you for the help. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. Okay, bye. Bye Bye-bye. You know, sometimes in the treatment setting, you get those who don't share or don't want to share. Um, and one wrong tactical move in terms of how to, to, to for the start the process to try and get them to get going, yeah, could end it for a couple of months. So you got to be real. You got to read them. You got to read. You got to know thy, thy client. client. That's it. You can shut them down. Right. For... <laughs> you got to read them real good and know which tactic to take with this person so that you do not get that door slammed shut. You want to keep your foot right in that door, keep it open a little bit, and then just work it. Start squeezing in there slowly until you get a little bit more opening. And if they see that there is sincerity in your interest and that there is caring in your interest, they will slowly open up. And you've just got to be committed to the effort. can't be a one-and-done thing because all that does is reinforce to them, man, you didn't really care about me. Exactly, yeah. It just reinforces that. Exactly. So, got to be committed. All right, let's go to Amy. Hello? From Hello? Amy, welcome. Hi, how are you? Hi, good. Okay, so my question is, um, I'm in a rehab mm-hmm. right now, and the setting is, um, there's a lot of favoritism in my uh, facility, and how would you suggest someone who's going through treatment deal with the staff and the other clients and all the favoritism that's going on and a lot of things that aren't fair in the treatment because of the favoritism so that I don't jeopardize my recovery? So let's start with uh, no staff, no client could impact what you're committed to doing. I find that difficult to um, agree with because due to the fact that there are certain clients who staff um, favors and whatever they say goes, and sometimes what those clients say isn't true or is making 
certain individuals look really, really bad, and it's hindering them in their program. And some of the things that are brought aren't true, so it's actually a hinder in my recovery. So let, me, and let me interrupt you for a second, just in the interest of time. I want you to think about this for a second. This is all perspective, okay? So I want you just to be open to looking at a different perspective. Because it's perspective okay. and perception, okay? When okay. I said that no staff and no client could impact your commitment, meaning so you walk in the door and you're committed to your recovery, okay? There is nothing a staff person can do or say that's going to prevent you from achieving your goal. Mm. There is nothing I a client, just, just hear me out, Hear me out. There is nothing a client can do that's going to prevent you from achieving your goal. And here's the reason why. All the stuff, and I emphasize the word stuff, that goes on in a residential setting, whether it's with staff, whether it's with clients, and so on and so forth, all that is is a replica of society. And you have to start viewing it through those lens. Mm. It's just a microcosm of, just listen for a second, just for a second. Remember I was talking about perception and perspective? Mm-hmm. You are well aware of what your perspective is and how you see what's going on and how it impacts you. Mm-hmm. So... Now you have to be open to another perspective that may actually show you a path for you to maneuver and deal with the perspective that you have. And Mm. so if you start off with, if you just start off with, you know what, no matter what goes on in here, it's not going to stop me from achieving my recovery. If you were outside of a facility, you would have to say the same thing. No matter what happens out here in society, it's not going to impact what I do in terms of my recovery. So if my neighbor is smoking crack to the right and my neighbor is shooting dope to the left, that's not going to make me decide to do either one. Well, that would that would be easily um, believable if it wasn't to where it didn't affect me, but it does. What other clients do with so the why aren't here? You, why aren't you? Why? Wait a second. Why aren't you practicing? This is a perfect opportunity for you to look at your environment and say, "Wow, this is what's going on. I don't think it's fair. There's an injustice over here. Why don't you practice? Use it as a practice." Um, field to see how I'm going to deal with this injustice, deal with this perspective that I have. Because I'll be the first to tell you, if you think that your experience that you're having right now is hard and difficult and is going to prevent you and it impacts you, my goodness, what are you going to do when you get out into the real world? Well, in the real world, people wouldn't ignore me or wouldn't um, not be allowed to talk to me. 
and I mean as in staff has favoritism, so they go off of whatever the clients say, and in turn, people end up getting in trouble for something that Amy. they didn't do or what was said, as in turn Amy. being put on a ghost, and now they're not allowed to talk to anyone in the house, Amy. which is kind of, you know, jeopardizing the, their program. Amy, Amy. Did you hear did you hear me mention the word stuff? Did you hear me say that that the stuff that goes on in in the in the, in the treatment center? Did you hear me say that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you don't have to detail what you just said because when I say stuff, that's what I'm talking about. All that stuff. So all that stuff that goes on, you have to figure out a way to deal with it. Just like you would have to figure out a way to deal with things that come your way that you you don't like on the outside. It is an excellent opportunity to practice that. Mm, And it doesn't make a difference. It doesn't make a difference what it is. It's just the opportunity. That's why I said it's the way you're looking at it is what's wrong, not what's actually occurring. If you could only change the way you look at it as an opportunity to practice dealing with these these things that you don't like, then you would, what for what, you, would, you would see I, it for what it is. I get what you're saying. Like, look at the positive side to it. But no, no, there is no as... positive. No, I didn't say that. That word didn't come out of my mouth. It's okay. just an experience. I didn't attach a positive or negative to it. Okay, it's but how do you experience. how do you deal with something and experience when you can't even focus on your recovery because you can't even interact with people in the program or talk to them because of something that never even happened based on the clients who have a certain bond with the staff. So therefore, my recovery is, oh, oh. isn't going anywhere. It's stagnant because I can't even talk to no one. So so then what are you gonna so what's what's gonna happen? If if I if all of these things if all of these things outside of Amy if all of these things outside of Amy are have so much control over whether or not Amy's going to succeed or not, my goodness, what's going to happen to you? I don't know. Well that's my point. Take back the control. The the way to take back the control is just shutting up and just being non-existent. No, that's not the way to take back control. And well, there's any really reason, no any other way to take it back when no one can even acknowledge you in a program. Well, I doubt very seriously that that's the case. But again, you have to be open to having a different perspective. Okay? You can talk about what your experience is, what it feels like to you what your own perception of it is, and then you have to develop the ability, if you don't have it, to then consider, at least have the ability to consider a different perspective. If you can't consider a different perspective, then you're just going to exist in your own perception. And if your own perception is, I can't do anything, no one's paying attention to me, staff is not listening to me, clients aren't listening to me, no one's... So there's n- nothing within your control, then what are you going to do? I have no idea. I don't really, there's nothing really in my control. So well, it, I feel is, like it's a hinder in my recovery. Well, you're, 
that's upstairs. Because the reality is, the truth is, you're actually in 100% control of your recovery, not somebody else outside of you. You are in control of your recovery. Yeah, if I'm if I want to work on myself and express myself and open up and have interactions like a normal client does, but when Amy, I'm not allowed to you do are, those things. Amy, wherever you are right now, you could walk outside. You could walk outside onto the street and go on with your life, and you would still be in control of your recovery. You get to decide, not somebody else. And as long as you think other people are in control, okay, then you'll be in that state of, well, I don't know what to do because I'm waiting for a staff person to do this or say this or give me this, or I'm waiting for a client to do this, say this, or give me this, when in fact I'm the one that's in control, so I'm going to dictate how I interact with my environment rather than allowing the environment to control how it interacts with me. So but it's just about no perspective. There's no interaction. There's no okay, interaction with the environment. Okay, just in the interest of time. We don't we're not going to argue, okay? I'm just saying if you don't, if you can't consider another perspective of your experience, then you're just going to stay in that same experience. And then what is there's nothing for some there's nothing left for someone to tell you because you're saying this is the only thing that I can see and there, I can't consider anything else. Well, if you can't consider anything else, then you're only going to see what you see. Okay, so if you were if you were on a ghost, how would you handle the situation where you can't talk to anyone, no one can acknowledge you or talk to you, and you have to walk around just like non-existent? How would you handle that situation? So, have you ever been in jail? Yes. Excuse me? Yes. Did you say yes? I have. Yes. I can't hear her. She, she did yes, say I yes, I believe, but yeah, it's coming through kind of choppy right now. I'm not sure why. Yes, I She did say jail. yes. She's been in jail. Okay. Amy, can you still hear me? Yes, I can. Okay. If you were in solitary confinement, you'd be by yourself. You wouldn't have anyone to talk to except the walls. So if you're on, quote-unquote, a ghost, and that's a TC term, okay, why don't you write? Mm -hmm. Write about your experience. Um, Write what you're feeling. Because uh, that doesn't work for me because I... It just doesn't work. I don't see the yeah, point of writing when it's an unfair um, treatment. Hello? I'm not sure if it's on your end or not, Amy, but the phone sounds to be uh, like it's, there's a poor connection there, like you might be breaking up. Um, okay. Can, is there a way for you to call us back or um, perhaps... Yeah, have her see if she can hang up and call yeah, back. Yeah, if you can hang up and call back, that would be great. Okay, I'll I'll hang up and call back. Yeah, just hang up now and then call back, and hopefully the new connection will be a little more clean. Yeah. Okay, thank you. All right, let's go to another call. Hopefully, she calls back. I'm sure she, she will. Try and con we got to try and convince her to change her 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 the way she's viewing the situation. If, and if she continues that view, she's gonna. That's like you said, it's totally powerless. Yeah. Like there's, but that's not the case. Right. And uh, just 
so everybody knows, goal United States. It is one nothing. Our USA women have taken the lead over the number one team in the world, and we got about 15 minutes to go before full time. After two hours of play, <laughs> one to zero. That's right. All right, let's go to another call real quick. Hi, welcome to the show. Your first name and hometown, please. Hi, this is Fred. I'm in Laguna Beach. Hi, how are you? Uh, good, thank you. Uh, hi, uh, I'm in treatment right now, and I was wondering if you had any specific advice uh, about uh, starting a relationship with somebody who's not in treatment. Um, how long have you been in treatment? About eight months. Been in treatment uh, for thoughts? alcohol. What are your thoughts? Alcohol abuse. No, no, I'm saying what are your thoughts in terms of where you think you're at personally in your treatment progress, etc.? Um, some things have made a lot of progress. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm very worried about other things. Uh, it's kind of scary. All right, so... Okay. So the things that you're worried about, are any of them relationship-related? Uh, no. Okay. Uh, hadn't hadn't thought about it that way, but no. Uh, okay. I don't believe so. Okay. So if you're... There's nothing wrong with dipping a toe and cultivating <laughs> and taking it slow as you're continuing to work on those other things, you know what I'm saying? Because you want to be yeah. able to present at, at your ultimate goal is you want to present uh, as healthy a person as you possibly can present. Um, and so dip a toe in, eventually a little half a foot will go in, a full foot, and you'll just work your way and progress naturally. Well, that's, that's the way it's felt so far. So Okay. Yeah, so you don't think there's anything particularly detrimental to doing it, just as long as you're uh, upfront with yourself and your partner, you know. Uh, you're, you're honest with yourself in terms of, you know, and, and you already stated, you know, there's some areas that uh, you still have work to do and that you're you're committed to continuing to, to do that work. And mm-hmm. But, you know, eight months down the road, there's nothing wrong, in my opinion, with dipping a toe and, and cultivating a little bit. Uh, that's a relief to hear. Um, uh, of course, it uh, you know still worry. Um, yeah, it centers around just uh, keeping dedicated to to the treatment and recovery. So, all right. Well, let me ask, let me ask you this real quick. The, sure. the the person that you're cultivating with is this someone that you have strong feelings for? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so well, let me give you a source of motivation to, to help keep you focused on making sure that you continue to pay attention to uh, the important aspects of your recovery. Uh-huh. You ready for the, you ready for the motivation tool? I am. Okay, if you don't, then you're going to lose the person that you have strong feelings for. Uh, that is, yeah. <laughs> Sorry to use a pun. A sobering uh, thought. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, well, thank you. Yeah. You're uh, very welcome. I'll keep that in, keep that in mind ever in my mind. Okay. 
Thank you. All right, Fred. Thanks for calling. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Back to our topic real quick. So I actually just used it as an example. So I got I got an eight-month client. In reality, I don't know much about him, but in theory, let's say I did. And he was honest enough to say that I still got some things that I need to continue working on. Mm-hmm. I have some things I've made significant progress on. Mm-hmm. Um, and asked what my opinion was. I didn't throw the hammer down. Right. You're not ready. There's nothing wrong with dipping a toe and cultivating, but continuing to do the work. That's right. What's the worst that's going to happen? A now, heart might get broken. Yeah. <laughs> and you learn from it. And you learn from it. That's but all right. But if, if you throw down the hammer at eight months, then you you put yourself in a position where there's going to be a power struggle because love always wins out. Period. That's so true. And so you got to know that and know that client. We have Amy back. We have her on a clear line. Did I believe see? so, yeah. It sounded okay. clear in the screening room. All right. Hello? Amy, we got you back? Yes, you do. Okay. All right. So, and while while you were gone, the co-host and I were talking a little about, so because so, we've narrowed it down and to what, the issue is that we believe you have to focus on. Okay. Because you are definitely wrapped up very tightly in the minutia of details of your current circumstance. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what we're trying to get you to do is to look at a bigger picture. Okay. A okay. much bigger picture than your current circumstance today. Okay. And the most important thing is no one, no one, no one but you is in control of your recovery. Regardless of how things may seem or appear. And you have to, at some point, come to believe that Sincerely, otherwise you are always going to feel powerless. Well, wouldn't I feel like that regardless the whole time I'm on a ghost due to the fact that I'm isolating, I'm by myself, and I'd be, I'm more focused on like that's not fair, I shouldn't have to be isolating, it's not good for me because it's making me think about all the negative things. So how do I turn it into a positive and look at it as a good thing instead of a negative when if I'm all by myself and I can't talk to no one and no one can talk to me. Okay, you, you're, doing, you're doing it again. You're doing it again. Because mm-hmm. I don't you, see how, no, how to turn it into a positive thing. I don't know. Okay, I can't so that, see. Should be, that should be your question then. You know what? It, when you constantly reinforce your experience, mm-hmm. okay, after a while it, it, it kind of becomes monotonous. So once you state your experience, so for example, the, the, the producer and I, we we heard you what your experience is. You described mm-hmm. it to us. Okay? So then your question is, 
well, how do I, did you say, how do I look at it positively? Yeah, how do I how do I stay positive in it, or how do I keep looking at it positive instead of it being so negative? Because in the situation I'm in, experiencing the ghost, it's, okay, so it's all these Amy, negative Amy, feelings. Amy, Amy, just so you just ask the question. You don't have to describe it. Just ask the question. Mm-hmm. So, how do I stay positive in in what I'm going through right now? How do I look okay. at it positive? Okay. You may not be able to look at it positively. Because the experience may feel very negative. Mm-hmm. And that's a reality. And what I was trying to explain to you before is, is that when I kept mentioning the word pr- about it's very good practice because you're going to have experiences outside in the real world where it's going to feel and, and appear very negative to you. And the challenge is... Okay, what can I do to survive this experience? What can I do to get through this experience that feels very negative to me, appears very negative to me? I'm not Mm going to say to you that, oh, you got to do something to try and make it positive if your reality is that it is negative. Because for you, if it is negative, then it is negative. Mm-hmm. It's, what can I do to survive it? Because if I can practice that while I'm here in this environment, if I ever experience this again, caused by anything else, it doesn't have to be the exact same circumstance, it could be caused by something else where I feel the same thing, I have practiced dealing with it. And I have some, a frame of reference to draw upon to get me through it. That's what I was trying to tell you before. This is an <laughs> opportunity. That's how you have to look at it. I don't like it. I don't like the way it feels. I don't like the way it looks. All of that is true. The challenge is, can I get through it? Okay. You've got to get through it. I don't care what you do. I don't care what you have to say. I don't I don't care. You got to get through it. Okay. 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 So, we're going to hear back from you next week. Okay. And I want to know where Amy's at at that point. All right. I can One do that. One week later. Okay? Okay. All right. All right, I'll Thank talk you to you next week. All bye. right, bye-bye. So, hard not to focus on the details, I guess, when you're when you're in it. In the yes. stuff, in a situation that you're having a very extreme kind of volatile visceral response to. Yeah. Um Small things can feel like the world yes. or the end of the world. Um, so definitely know where she's coming from. And oh. she's not the only client to have felt that or someone in recovery to have felt that, by right. the way. But we as counselors, we have to allow them to uh, explain the experience, describe the experience, right. but not to repeatedly do it. Right. Because especially if it's negative, it's just constantly reinforcing, reinforcing, reinforcing. Right. I want to hear it. One time, tell me, what does it feel like? It feels bad, it feels terrible, it feels negative, so on and so forth. Good, okay. 
now we know what it, what it feels like. What are we going to do? Right. But I'm not going to let you continually reinforce it. Yeah. You know yeah. I mean? Well, exactly. Because, like you said, you know, okay, so let's hear it one time, two times. You know, what is it that you're going through? Okay. We've got that. Mm-hmm. Now we need to shift our focus right. to what to do about that instead of continuing just to wallow in it, so right. to speak. Right. Which can be a challenge. Yeah, it can be oh, a challenge. For both the counselor right. and the client. Well, this wasn't this exchange was an example of a challenge mm-hmm. because she definitely wanted to describe her experience, and and I think in her right. the des- describing it was a mechanism of dealing with it. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, venting yes. a little bit. Yes. Mm-hmm. But exactly. unfortunately, we don't have that much time. <laughs> and, and but we gave her a lot of time. By the way, she's probably did. the longest caller that we've had. We did give her a lot of time. Okay. Uh, we got another goal. It's two nothing U.S. with Uh-oh. two minutes left in the game. It looks like our women will be advancing to the finals. Okay, how are we on time, by the way? If, uh, if the caller from Redwood City can make his point and you can make yours uh, within a minute and thirty, we can do it. Okay. We got to wrap up at about eight here, seven thirty or eight. All right, and I didn't get to our my ex ex uh, file calls. Todd from Redwood City, welcome to the show. How can I help you, sir? Thank you. This is actually a callback from last week. Okay, can you talk Um, a little bit louder? Yes, this is a callback from last week. Uh, We Mm -hmm. talked about uh, dealing with an individual that was um, stubborn in in treatment and how to deal with that. You gave me some suggestions, and I'm calling back Mm -hmm. to tell you, uh, give you some feedback as to what happened. Okay. So... um, I just want to say thank you real, because real, the, the feedback. Real, tell me, in, tell me in thirty seconds. I only got thirty seconds, real quick. Okay, so the feedback was very positive. Uh, we broke broke that person, that individual down, and started building her back up as you recommended. And I'm really pleased with with the resu- results so far. Um, I'm seeing a lot better behavior, et cetera, from that person. And I want to thank you for for your assistance. That's wonderful. Good stuff. Good job. Good work. Yes, yes, and thank you All for right. your help. Thank you for it. the update, Todd. Thank you very uh, much. Take care. All right, bye-bye. Why are you always rushing me off the phone? Hey, that's it, man. You better make your little final point in five seconds No, nah, that's it. Okay. All right, good. All right. Thank you all for listening again to continued support, the callers, everybody who has visited our page or listened into a show. We appreciate it very much. We look forward to talking to everybody next Tuesday. Please enjoy this safe rest of the week and have a great and safe weekend and 4th of July. Happy holidays, everybody. Yep. Go Knicks.
That's our show for this evening. Thank you for listening. Be sure to listen to our next broadcast Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Like us, friend us, and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash OCGWorkCA and on Twitter at OCGWorkCA. You can listen to podcasts of all our shows on iTunes under Roach on Recovery or on our Blog Talk Radio homepage. This has been a presentation of OCG Recovery Radio. Until then, baby, are you gonna let a pussy down and make you cry? Don't you know, don't you know, if you change, things will go your way.